Turn with me to Exodus chapter 31. We'll finish the 31st chapter here this morning. Uh, uh, These are, you know, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, and he was up there for 40 days the first time, he goes up there for those 40 days, and during those 40 days, God gives him the Ten Commandments, the literal tablets themselves, both spoken, and God gives him the tablets. But he also gave him all the instructions for the tabernacle while he was up there on the mountain for those 40 days. Uh, And in his final thing, now this is not the first time, he's actually mentioned a couple of times while he's on the mountain, the Sabbath. The Sabbath means a lot to the Lord. Would you agree? While he's up there, his parting words, the final words before Moses is going to descend back down the mountain with all of this instruction, information, commandments from the Lord, the Ten Commandments, all the things that need to be done uh, for the building of the tabernacle, even who would be uh, over certain aspects of it, whether it was Aaron or Baziel or God had told him the names of people and who, who would be doing what, division of responsibility and commandments. And uh, then he closes here in the 31st chapter. The final things he says to Moses are regarding the Sabbath. So with your Bibles open, If you have that with you, uh, verse 12, if you don't have a Bible, one of the ushers can get you one, just raise your hand. But starting in verse 12 of Exodus 31, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak also to the children of Israel saying, surely my Sabbath you shall keep for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath therefore For it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. For whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath rest. Holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual Perpetual, that means it never stops. Perpetual covenant, it is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when he made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Wherever the Sabbath is, the Word of God will be there too. Amen? Let's pray for the work of the Holy Spirit. Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ, the Spirit that hovered over the waters to speak now to your people, for this is your Holy Word for all generations, even forever. And we ask, Lord, that it would do more than we even have prayed for in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word this morning, Our Sabbath rest, our Sabbath rest. We obviously don't live in the times of Moses, do we? But the Lord still has a lot to say to us about a Sabbath rest. It's still in our Bibles. I love the Old Testament. I love the New Testament. What does the Lord want us to understand about this Sabbath rest? We know it's perpetual, and we know it lasts forever. So what is the Lord saying 
to us today. If you're taking notes, I've divided the text into three sections that we'll look at this morning. Sanctified, set apart, and strengthened. Sanctified, set apart, and strengthened. Now, if you think about the Sabbath, the other way of thinking about it, it's not the, the three sections I divided in, but another way to think about it is the Sabbath, past, present, and future fulfillment. Past, present, and future fulfillment, because the Sabbath won't end, but it will be fully revealed. Similar, the book of Revelation is called the revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has already been revealed throughout the Scripture, but there's a deeper unveiling in the book of Revelation. So the Sabbath, though it was established in one way, would not just, it would actually manifest and grow and there be a deeper revelation and understanding of this Sabbath rest that started well before the law, right? Because Moses is reminded by God himself, it's not Moses speaking here, God you know, is letting him know that the Lord himself rested on the seventh day and was refreshed. Now, God doesn't really need rest. You know that, right? The Bible makes it clear that he never gets weary. God doesn't get tired. He was setting a model. He was setting an example. He was also pointing towards his son and the Sabbath in Christ. When we were in Israel back in February, we learned that in ancient times, in the ancient times before the second temple was destroyed in AD 70, it was said of Israel in those days that Israel was unique in all the world for three distinct reasons. Number one was the spectacular temple that Herod had actually taken, Nehemiah's temple, and expanded it greatly. The spectacular temple and the fact that in that temple there was no images to any god. That was unique in all the world. The whole world was like, you've got to see, first of all, this temple, it rises 28 stories high, it has gold at the top, it glistens in the sun, it sits on the top of a 2,500-foot mountain, it is gorgeous, it's one of the wonders of the world, but more than that, when you go there, they don't have any images to a god. There's no images whatsoever. That was unique of Israel. The number two thing in the ancient times was they said, and there's this salty sea where everything floats. Just throw your, throw a log in, throw anything in, well, logs always float, but, you know, throw something in there, throw something cast iron, it'll float. They've got this sea where everything floats, and of course, when you go to the Dead Sea, you find out it's true. You're not careful, it'll flip you upside down, and actually, you get a lot of salt in your face, and your nose, before you come right back side up, but you won't sink. And then lastly, the third distinctive of ancient times that the ancient people said made Israel so unique was they have this strange thing that every seventh day, no one works. Everyone stops working. Every seventh day, the whole country shuts down. That's what was known of Israel. Now, of course, even today, it's quite an experience to see a city the size of Jerusalem, which is close uh, it's the largest Jerusalem's ever been. It's approaching a million people now with the suburbs, about 700,000, but uh, and then outside the city, close to another 200,000. But uh, to see a city the size of Jerusalem effectively shut down and rest for a day, and then you see either families gather together, 
you see people go and worship, or they do both. They gather the family and they go worship, which is what God always wanted, if they're observing God's specific command. And then you hear the words people say to each other. You'll hear people just say to strangers, say to anybody, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, saying to each other, which means peaceful rest. Now, this is even deeper. This is deeper than if somebody says to you, have a great day, or you take care. When someone says Shabbat Shalom, peaceful rest, do you hear the depth of that more than, hey, you take care? Peaceful rest is something of depth that comes from God. The word Sabbath or Shabbat in the Hebrew, it literally means a ceasing or a stopping. A ceasing or a stopping. Uh, But we see also in verse 15, we certainly see in verse 15 that it's rest, a Sabbath of rest. It's not just stopping, but resting, which comes from the same word, by the way. uh, It's the same root word. But we see in Later, in Leviticus chapter 23, I'll turn there and read it to you, Leviticus 23, 3, uh, we see a little more addition. God puts a little more understanding of the construct of the Sabbath day. Listen to Leviticus 23, 3. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. Solemn rest. Solemn rest. Holy A holy convocation. What is convocation? Convocation is a gathering. It's where all the people have to gather together. They weren't just to rest in their tents and read the Sunday paper. Hey, Moses gives us every seventh day off. I catch up on the Wall Street Journal. I do this. I do that. You know, we have a we have a breakfast that lasts till one o'clock in the afternoon. There's lots of manna because we we got two days worth with us, and so we do all this. No, no, they were to rest but they were to gather together. Leviticus 23.3, you shall have a day of solemn rest, a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it, and it is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Now, clearly they were to rest, they were to take and not work, but they also, the third component, they were to gather. And by the way, that, uh, that word convocation, it tells us there's more going on with that Uh, that they were actually going to gather and they were going to hear the reading of God's Word. Now, under the New Covenant, you can, uh, I I won't read them, but in, um, actually I will, Uh, Colossians 2, 16 and 17 is the first verse I'll read. Under the New Covenant, we know that the actual Sabbath day, you must stop and do everything exactly the way the children of Israel were commanded in the Old Testament does not carry over under the new covenant, at least not in the way that they were commanded. You and I, uh, if that was the case, we all are lawbreakers today because Sunday is not the Sabbath day on the Jewish calendar, right? Matter of fact, uh, you would actually follow a lunar calendar to go every seventh day rather than just even Saturday itself, although Saturday uh, is the most appropriate direct comparison we have to the Sabbath. It's why our Messianic believers, uh, you know, we just had Sam Nadler here last week from Hope of Israel. His church, they meet on Saturday, which is the traditional Jewish Sabbath 
uh, even the way it's, uh, it's celebrated uh, or uh, kept today, kept is a better word to say, even the way it's kept today in synagogues around the world. But in the New Covenant, in Colossians, Paul writes to the, uh, to the church of Colossae in, two, in chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, he says, So let no one judge you in food or drink, or in regarding a festival or a new moon, or Sabbaths, which are a shadow, again, the fulfilling, a shadow of the things to come, but the substances of Christ. The substances of Christ. The, the fulfillment of the Sabbath is in Jesus. Paul also writes to the Romans, one person esteems one day, this is Romans 14.5, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, is Paul saying, because he writes to the Colossians, that they don't have to observe the Sabbath as it was under the law, and he writes the same to the Romans. So he's writing to two different people in the Mediterranean which were, those churches were made up of both Jews and Gentiles. Now, for the Gentiles, it was all new to them anyway. They didn't know anything about the Sabbath other than what they observed. They knew what the Jews did with the synagogue. If they had a synagogue in that city, they would understand what they... But they didn't know much about it. They didn't have the history behind it. They didn't know what Moses said explicitly uh, in actually teaching these things. But Paul is telling these believers that they're not under the law anymore, that they should observe the Sabbath the exact same way it was given to the children of Israel, that they could actually have a different day. If you're a doctor today and you can't be here on Sunday, it's okay for you to make Wednesdays your church service or your Sabbath, uh, or you can have a different Sabbath if it needs to be a Tuesday. So Paul is saying, look, you, you now have liberty under Christ. You guys in Rome... If, uh, if the way your business and commerce is set up, it's better for you to establish. Now, remember, Paul's not writing individuals here. He's writing to a collection of people. He's writing to the Romans and the Colossians. He's writing to a collection of people and say, collectively, uh, in your group, if you, need to have a, if you need to have a gathering on a specific day, that's okay. You're not under the law. It doesn't have to be the seventh day. Now, we know that the believers... In the New Testament, we know for certain that the believers, particularly the Jewish believers, uh, really like to gather and continue to gather on the Sabbath. How do we know this? Well, what was Paul's custom everywhere he went? He would go right to the synagogue. And Paul would establish, if there was believers there, he would have them to continue to meet at the synagogue on the Sabbath. We know in the book of Acts, when, the, when people came to Christ under Peter's preaching, they continued to meet at the temple. Now, they went well beyond the Sabbath. They were meeting every single day. They were so on fire for the Lord, they couldn't wait for the Sabbath. They just met every night. Uh, what would it be like if the church today had that kind of hunger for Jesus? Instead of looking for the exit door of, which day can I go that's going to be the least impactful to my calendar? that people would actually be like the Church of Acts, said, which day can we, can we have to suffer and not be together? Complete opposite thinking, isn't it? Because Jesus changes everything. Under the law, it was you must do. Under Christ, it's you get to do. He changes everything. The Sabbath is different in the mind of the believer because the believer now wants to cling to Jesus, not to say, oh man, we've got to do this seventh day thing again. But the early church 
Many of the Jewish believers would meet on the traditional Sabbath. They kept meeting on the seventh day of the week. But we know that uh, this wasn't the case in every place. Uh, we know that in Acts 20, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Paul speaks of believers meeting on the first day of the week. So we knew that some of the Corinthians and others were meeting on the first day of the week. They were meeting to commemorate what? The resurrection of Jesus. They said, what better day to meet than the very resurrection? Jesus rose on the first day of the week. Let's meet as a church on the first day of the week. Others that were Jewish believers said, God is still the God of the Sabbath, and he'll always be the God of the Sabbath. It's perpetual. It's forever. Let's continue to meet on the seventh day of the week. So my brother in Christ, Sam's house of Israel, they meet on the seventh day. We meet on the first day. You know, I've seen house churches start where their Sabbath is a Wednesday night. It's okay. It doesn't matter the day of the week. And, of course, every day is holy unto the Lord anyway. Let's take a look at these three things this morning. Sanctified, uh, set apart, and strengthened. Sanctified. When you think about sanctified, uh, Jesus says, or, or the Lord says to Moses, it is the Lord, I am the Lord, who sanctifies you. Verse 13, I am the Lord who sanctifies. Now, when we're saved, we're saved from our sins. We, we're washed in the blood of Jesus. We're given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But unfortunately, we still have this flesh nature in us, don't we? Some of you saw it rise up sometime today already, didn't you? Especially if you're trying to get the kids out the door. And then instead of doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit, you do it in the power of angry voice, right? We need the Lord to continually sanctify us. It, it, God, knew that, God knew that at minimum you need to come and just meditate on me every seventh day. That was under the law. Now, God wants us to think about him far more than just every seventh day, but you will need the sanctification. What means is God continually recleans. Remember uh, when Jesus took disciples, he washed their feet, right? The feet get dirty on a regular basis, don't they? The washing of the feet is what Jesus said. He continually sanctified. Yes, you're already saved. Your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you, if you are saved and you have become a follower of Jesus Christ, but you need to be continually sanctified. And over time... That sanctification process, he's making you, conforming you into uh, the image of Jesus Christ. But it's only when we, re this rest, this Sabbath rest, this rest has to be in Christ. Only when we rest in Christ are we kept pure. You decide, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm do a little experiment. I'm going to try and live without Christ for the next 30 days and see how sanctified I am by the end of the 30 days. We wouldn't recognize you, possibly. Now, you may look the same on the outside, but your insides will be full of rottenness, wouldn't it? God needs to continually sanctify us. But as we rest in Christ, as we rest in the Lord, He keeps us pure. Hebrews 2.11 says, For both He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. The Lord sanctifies individuals, but he also sanctifies. Remember that the convocation, the Leviticus 23.3, there was a gathering together. He sanctifies individually, but he also sanctifies collectively. 
we gathered for prayer before the service this morning, that there's that collective, but our prayer is resting in Christ. We're, we, that's who we were praying to. That's who we were relying on. That's who we were leaning on. Yes, if the world says your crutch is in Jesus, say absolutely. More than that, he's the whole, I, I, whole outstretched bed. Not just a crutch. Everything. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't be preserved blameless unless you're resting in Christ. Resting in him. When he comes and he will come, some will be ready, some will not. Some will not be ready. Some won't have rested in Christ. They'll have rested in themselves. And that's tragic. That's building on sand as opposed to building on the rock. We rest in the Lord Jesus Christ, the sanctification. As I rest in the Lord, he's constantly showing me what ne- oh, this needs to go. This is a hindrance. This is a weight. This needs to spend more time in prayer with me. Uh, Love me more. God never stops. And he says the same things a lot of times because I need to hear them over and over and over again. I've told you the Bible is the most repetitive book on planet Earth because people forget what they heard within 10 minutes. John Neorge, he he works with Ravi Zacharias and Ravi Zacharias Ministries. He sent out a tweet this week that I just... On Twitter, I thought it was um, I thought it was really insightful for the body of Christ. He says this. He says, "If the dominant prayer in your life is for Jesus to guide you, you may want to take a second look at his initial invitation to follow him." Did you catch that? It could it could either seem either maybe say, "Well, that is that contradictory." To what the scriptures say, I'll read it again. If the dominant prayer in your life is for Jesus to guide you, you may want to take a second look at his initial invitation to follow him. I knew exactly what he was saying. God has, Jesus has already said, follow me, obey my commandments. If you love me, obey my commandments, 1 John. When you obey his commands, he is guiding you already. But a lot of times, people don't rest in Christ. They don't obey any of his commands, but they have a constant prayer. Oh, Lord, help show me this. Help guide me here. Help guide me this. And Jesus is saying, I can't answer that prayer. You don't follow me yet. You keep praying for my guidance, but you don't obey me. You don't follow me. You don't rest in me. You don't live in me. You don't love me. And yet you constantly pray to me for my guidance. I give my guidance to those who follow me. Right? I don't have to, now, you still pray for, this is not, he's not saying you don't pray for guidance. He's saying if the dominant prayer in your life is you're constantly praying for guidance, but you haven't yet followed the Lord, whereas when the, when the scale is flipped, when you constantly follow Christ, then when you're praying for guidance, you're usually praying for guidance at forks in the road, right? Forks in the road. Lord, I want to be at Bonaire tonight, but someone called me and I've got this ministry. Which one would you write me to do? You see the difference? Your prayer now is in guidance in his will as opposed to guidance for your will. That's what a lot of people pray. Their prayer is just, God, Lord, guide me to a lot of good blessings. The Lord says, follow me. Through his body, 
We're sanctified through Christ. We're also sanctified through his body. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 1, 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all in every place who call in the name of the Lord Jesus, our Lord, both theirs and ours. The Lord is telling us here, and then in verse 11, he says, and such were you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now, Paul's writing to the Corinthians here, and it's very clear. He's writing to them collectively, saying, collectively, you were all sanctified in Christ. You were washed in Christ. You are a body that God has put together. Now, when I look at this church, it's the same way. God didn't say, hey, Tim, who do you want, who do you want here? All right, let me look through the phone book. That looks like a good family. Let's take that one. Let's take that one. I had nothing to do with any of you being here. You're here by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, and by the direction of God. I'm here by the same reason. Back in uh, 2002, when we were still living in Charlotte, North Carolina, I had no designs on moving to Richmond. Matter of fact, I was very close to moving to Dallas, Texas, but God changed everything and directed me here. Now, once he puts us in a place, we are then a body of believers Paul's writing to a body that they would remain a body and understand they're sanctified individually, but they need each other too. Do you agree with that? That they were sanctified together individually, but they need each other. When we're together, I'm part of the together here. I just have a different role. We all have a place to play in the body. I don't know if I'm a thumb or uh, if I'm a kneecap or whatever I am in the body. Lord is the head. But I give the word of God as he's instructed me to do, and that's the gifting he's given me. But as I give the word, we're all part of the same body. And the word and us gathering together and us shining the light upon each other's lives, we're cleansed and we're convicted of things. Usually, I don't know what you're convicted of. It's just it takes place as we gather. There's something the Lord speaks to you, to someone else, but we're gathered together. And sometimes people, when they get together and they're convicted, say, hey, can you pray with me? because I'm really battling this, and it's just a, it's a stronghold or something in my flesh, and I want the Lord to actually be honored and glorified. Can you pray that I would just leave it at the cross right now? I've prayed with many of you like that. You've prayed with each other. I'll see sometimes you laying hands on one another and praying over each other, which is directly uh, related to what the Lord says through James. In James 5.16, confess your trespasses one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. They didn't have the internet then. They didn't have cell phones or smartphones. They didn't have, they had to actually go see each other to do this. And I believe that, that nothing's changed with God, right? In Oklahoma City, when everything, or, or parts of Oklahoma, when, when things were knocked out with tornado, it's back to the old-fashioned. We have to lay our hands around one another and actually minister there, not just a quick text which I actually find great value in things like text. I think that uh, we use the things today for good, and the other, a lot of people use them for their own pleasure or even evil, but yet there has to be a, still a gathering together. We're ministered and sanctified through the body. We have to be together to do that. We 